the war the power of of what we say of a transformed mind of speaking in a certain way and understanding the things that are spoken over us and how that those things actually become weapons and we sing that song this is how I fight my battles I fight them around the table where God speaks to me and I speak to him I mentioned before that they say I've never counted them but they say that we're that we hear or see 6000 commercials a day driving on the car on the radio or on the internet or on facebook pop-ups all kinds of stuff six let's be real that's got to affect us that that has to have some influence on the way we think more importantly i'm i'm concerned that it might have too much emphasis on how we act how we behave how we believe how we conduct ourselves because honestly i only have about 30 minutes to talk to you a week for those of you that come every week just saying by the way that would be a great new year's eve new year's commitment i'm going to be in church every sunday oh god you heard that lord that was the weakest day man i've heard <laughs> how about that and if not here somewhere maybe we ought to have a contest just to see who could who could do it the longest who could be in church every sunday huh oh you, you want to know what you win now that's it's not a new car okay i know you need the motivation <laughs> so i'm concerned that we're walking in an atmosphere that's changing us instead of us being what changes the atmosphere we are light and salt jesus used those metaphors to let us know that light changes the dark and salt changes the, you know the whole thing we preach a whole sermon on salt and what that does we need to start being thermostats instead of thermometers a thermostat sets the atmosphere a thermometer just reads it i i i, I you know i often refer to this this line of church of god preachers on facebook and i go to that sometimes and sometimes they get so negative and they just get on this rant about how wicked the world is oh it's terrible out there they they're all backslid they're all this and i just want to i just one time want to get on there and say and what are you doing about it besides getting up in your pulpit and talking about how bad everything is and all the members go yeah that's right you preach it those people are wicked and they all go home and just pat themselves on the back never witness to anyone never never turn a light on just gather in their little safe little huddle on sunday and let's all agree about how bad it is oh my god those are thermometers they know the temperature of the world wonderful proud of you you're awesome but i don't want us to be just thermometers i don't want us to just be aware of the world and the situation or even aware of the spiritual realm let's do something about it let's be thermostats let's literally change the atmosphere at work let's change the atmosphere in our home let's change the atmosphere in our church amen let's change the atmosphere at walmart wow wouldn't that be something wouldn't that be something front page revival breaks out at walmart 95 people saved got the pools out in the pool section filled them up with water and baptized on aisle 
Joe's with me. He sees it. He sees it. He'd, he'd be right there. Amen. Amen. It, what, what I'm talking about, it's kind of like you understand the term secondhand smoke. We're picking up a lot of secondhand smoke. We're inhaling all the junk of this world, and if we're not careful, it will influence us. I'm not preaching that to scare you. I'm preaching this to let you, just to kind of wake you up to the fact that you can't just go with the flow. You can't just, you can't just expose yourself to constant negativity and fake news and all the junk that's going on. Every news channel now ought to change their name to the Trump channel. 24-7. I don't care if you like him or hate him. I'm over it. I just want to hear more about Jesus. We, we, we've got to understand we have some weapons in this warfare. And I want to challenge you in the next uh, four or five Sundays to understand what your weapons are and to look at, at Timothy and his situation. You all know that Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. He is now the pastor at Ephesus. Paul misses him, probably in prison. But he know in other, t- other situations, he said, Timothy, I need you. But now he realized Timothy had gotten to the place where he needed to be where he is. There comes a time when your whole ministry is supporting someone else. But then sometimes some of us have to step into leadership and we begin to understand that it's not about us anymore, that we need to touch someone else's life. We need to lead others and be a minister to them. Can I get an amen? Paul has two purposes in writing to Timothy and the church at Ephesus. And by church at Ephesus, I mean all the house churches in the area. Two reasons. To combat false teachers and false teaching and to raise up the next generation of leaders. Those were his two purposes. And I'm going to emphasize more on the first and talk about how to battle, you know, the things that come into our minds and the lies of the enemy and how to win that battle. So we're not going to go verse by verse. We're not doing, you know, every verse in 1 Timothy. But I was surprised how often Paul talks about this battle that goes on between the truth the truth and blasphemous things that are being said and the lies of the enemy. How many know he is a liar and the beginner and the beginning of it? First Timothy chapter 1, verse 2 through 10. He writes, and this is all, all the scriptures today will be in the Passion Translation. Timothy, you are my true spiritual son in the faith. May abundant grace mercy, and total well-being, shalom, right? From God, from God the Father and the Anointed One, our Lord Jesus, be yours. Say, it's mine. As I urged you when I left for Macedonia, and that's northern Greece, I'm asking that you remain in Ephesus to instruct them not to teach or follow the error of deceptive doctrines. Uh-huh nor pay any attention to cultural myths. This is all the stuff that influences us, that kind of makes us not quite be Christ-like, but more cultural-like maybe. Traditions or the endless study of genealogies. You are more than your ancestors. Hallelujah. Those digressions only breed controversies and debates. 
They are devoid of power. Wow. That builds up and strengthens the church in the faith of God. Jesus. For we reach the goal of fulfilling all the commandments when we love others deeply with a pure heart, a clean conscience, and a sincere faith. Can I get an amen? Some believers have been led astray by teachings and speculations that emphasize nothing more than the empty words of men. Mm -hmm. They presume to be expert teachers of the law, but they don't have the slightest idea of what they're talking about, and they simply love to argue. Ever meet someone like that? All they want to do is win you over. All they want to do is argue. And I'm like, you know, I love Jesus, I love you, but I've got an appointment. We know that the moral code of the law is beautiful when applied as God intended. Wow. But actually, the law was not established for righteous people, but to bring conviction of sin to the unrighteous. The law was established to bring the revelation of sin to the, to the evildoers and rebellious, the sinners without God, those who are vicious and perverse, and to those who strike their father or their mother, sinners, murderers, wow, rapists, those who are sexually impure, homosexuals, kidnappers. I don't know how kidnappers got on the list. <laughs> Must have been a problem. Really. Well, it's a problem today. Right? Liars, those who break their oaths. God, I promise and all those who oppose the teaching of godliness and purity in the church, they are the ones the law is for. Sometimes you do have to preach the law until they feel conviction, and then you can preach grace. Now, Paul has known Timothy since Timothy was 19 years old. Timothy is now 34 years old. The year is A.D. 64. Timothy has been with Paul most of the ministry. He played key roles in Corinth and Thessalonica and Philippi. Timothy is known to have a few weaknesses, right? We draw from the scriptures that he was, he was probably a little timid, maybe a little backward, seemed to get anxious a lot, felt perhaps intimidated when he's with older more experienced, seasoned leaders. Does this, I don't know if it helps to understand that people in the Bible are really people like us. I mean, I know this congregation is perfect, and you don't have any of these issues, but we all have, if not these issues, some other issues. We, we think Timothy probably even had a nervous stomach. Paul said, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. <laughs> you know, get off the water. It's upsetting your stomach. You know, the water was bad a lot back then. So he, he has these issues, and Paul is always addressing them. And he's even, there are, situ, there are examples of him actually talking to other people and say, now, you know, treat Timothy right. You know, you know kind of put kid gloves on because, you know, he, he kind of gets his feelings hurt sometimes. And, you know, he, he, needs, he needs encouragement. And, but, 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 but he's 34 years old now, but... He's still having some issues, and Paul writes him to encourage him. But Paul wants Timothy to know, you have a weapon at your disposal. When, when the natural man doesn't feel adequate, when you don't feel like you can get this done, when, when you're feeling fear and you're anxious, when you're nervous, 
when you feel like you're going to fail and you're going to flop, when things are not going well and your life is beginning to fall apart, Paul says, Timothy, remember, you have an awesome weapon in your arsenal. He begins to talk about it in verse 18 of chapter 1. So, Timothy, my son, I am entrusting you with this responsibility. Come on, Pastor Timothy. Suck it up. Get with it. This is your responsibility now. You're not just my assistant. You are over the church at Ephesus, one of the, one of the uh, top three cities in the Roman Empire. Big place, big responsibility. And this, this, this thing I'm entrusting you with is in keeping with the very first prophecies. Say prophecies. Very first prophecies, words that were spoken over your life and are now glory. Everything that's been spoken to you is not yet all there completely. But many of the words that have been spoken over you are in the process of fulfillment in this great work of ministry, in keeping with the prophecies spoken over you. Mm. Wow. With this encouragement. You got this? If you really get this, I'll say amen and we'll go home. I'm not being truthful. Use this encouragement. With this encouragement, use your as weapons as you wage spiritual warfare by faith and with a clean conscience. For there are many who reject these virtues and are now destitute of the true faith. Wow. There are people who are destitute of this, such as, Paul's like, let, in fact, let me name them. How would you like to, your name in the Bible for that reason? <laughs> Hymenaeus and Alexander, um, who have fallen away. So much for cannot backslide. I have delivered them both over to Satan to be rid of them and to teach them to no longer blaspheme. Blaspheme talks about useless and critical and, you know, that kind of talk that comes out of someone's mouth. There are things that come out of our mouth that destroy, that tear down, that in the end will bring you down. And then there are things that build up and edify and strengthen and eventually bring you to the place where God intended for your ministry all along. <clears throat> Which category of words are you spending more time in? Are you blaspheming? Are you speaking idle, useless, destructive, tear-down words? Or are you speaking things that, that encourage? Now, let me say it another way. Which words are you listening to? Are you listening to the lies of the enemy and the blaspheming of other people? And, and you're allowing it to tear you down. Or are you listening to, embracing, meditating on the word of God that's been spoken over your life? And some of you might say, well, no one's ever prophesied over me. Amen. But actually, that's not true. You have the entire Word of God over you. Amen. Everything written in that Word is a Word over you. Amen. Quit waiting on someone to give you some direction when the Scriptures already have given you all you really need to, to know to keep you busy for the rest of your life. Glory to God. Amen. 
Prophecy has three purposes in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 14 and 3 uh, uh, lay these three out for us. But when someone prophesies, he speaks to purpose, encourage people to build them up and to bring them comfort. That's the purpose in the New Testament, the main purpose of prophecy. I like that. He says, Timothy, listen to, embrace the prophecies that literally in the Greek it says went before you, came before you. And here's, here's, here's the picture of someone giving you a word. It's as if you're on a long journey to somewhere you've never been before. And you're not sure which road to take, how long it's going to take, what bandits you'll face along the way, what what things you have to deal with. And then suddenly a messenger comes from the location you're going to. I don't know about you, but we travel a lot. And it's always a blessing to meet someone who's been where I'm going. I say, I'm I'm going here. and Oh, I've I've been there. I, I lived there for several years. What do you want to do? You want to get all the information you can from that guy. What's it like there? What's the people like? What's the job situation? What, you know, where can we stay? What can we do? How, do you know any other people? That, and you start asking all these questions, and he's glad to do it. Listen, that's what these prophecies are meant for you. They're messengers from the future. They're messengers, not just from the future, but they're from the place where you're going. God knows where you're going. God is where you're going. God has been where you're going. Amen. And he sends the word. He sends the word before you to prepare you, to encourage you, to comfort you, to let you know it's thus far. This is what you're going to face. This is what you'll see when you get there. Amen. We need a prophetic ministry in our church that will help our people get from point A to point B and be the people of God that God intended us to be. Can somebody agree with me and say amen? Oh, come on. You can do better than that. If that's what you need, let's praise him. Amen. Hallelujah. It gives us confidence that we're going to reach the goal. So let me me give you you three uh, whenevers. I'm not sure. Did we have time to get them on there? Whenever God speaks, something is created. You need, you need to get this. It's, listen, a word from God is, is not just a, something falling out of a dictionary. When God speaks over you through someone, through the word, or through a prophecy, the first thing you need to understand is that something is being created in you. Wow. A word, I'm going to say this about three times because you need to hear it about six. A word always creates something in you. And we, we kind of use the word create, but really it's something that's always been there, but the word activates it and makes it real. It's like, and I love this story. You know, I preach it so many times of Mary and Elizabeth, right? Elizabeth's six months along, and here comes Bebop and Mary. And Mary, and by the way, the Lord gave me this. Mary's from the younger generation. Sometimes it takes somebody from the younger generation to speak a word into the older generation, to bring something back to life. (laughs) Hallelujah. Friday morning, we were speaking to uh, Kyle uh, Farfunk Tin Can. He had a retreat, and he said, Dad, since you're here, (laughs) and I don't have to pay you, why don't you come over and and speak to the the group? There's about 20 of them, and 
and we spoke. And one of the things I mentioned was this. I said, I said, y'all don't know, you don't realize how much of a blessing you you are. Most of them in their twenties, early thirties, on fire for and they're not weird, they're not doing weird stuff. They're actually praying, fasting, you know, doing doing it in a new time, but the old way. New methods, but the old principles. Come on, there's no shortcuts in this. I don't care what year it is. There are no, they, they pray. They actually fast. They, they seek the Lord. They love God. They're, they're just exciting to be around. And I said, you guys are like Mary speaking to Elizabeth. And sometimes, sometimes we older generation, we need someone younger to encourage us. To speak to us that it's going to be all right. The next generation's coming up. We got this. Come on, millennials. Where are you? Shout back to me. We got this. <clears throat> that encourages us. That, that makes babies leap in us. Oh, praise God. So whenever God speaks, something's created. Something comes to life in us. Remember on the day of creation, every time God spoke and he said, and he said, and he said, and all he had to do was say it, and it was done. You know, he could have just thought it. He could have just did. You have to be old to know what I'm doing there. I know. <laughs> but or, or twitch your nose or something. I don't even know if he had to do that, right? He, he just had, but, but for some reason, he decided to take seven days, and for some reason, he decided to speak it. He's trying to teach us a lesson that it's what we say that has the power, that speaking has power. Life and death are in the tongue, and it depends what you're saying. It's, it's what you're saying over your children that's going to determine how your children are going to turn out. Come on, how we treat each other. Come on. Number two, whenever God speaks... That gives us something to stand on. So he creates. He brings life. But it also gives us something to walk on, to stand on. You you know I want to talk about Peter walking on the water, right? And Jesus says, come, right? And and I believe Peter just took four steps, C-O-M-E. And after that, he started drowning because he didn't know what came after E. So since he ran out of word, he started worrying about the water. And he starts sinking, right? He starts sinking. Oh. But if he had just kept his eyes on Jesus, sometimes he doesn't give you a word until you're willing to take the step, and then the word comes. Does that make sense? I know you don't like it, but it doesn't make sense. That's just the way God does it. Number three, whenever God speaks, he gives us a weapon. He gives us a weapon. You remember we just finished, you know, the series on Ephesians, and it says that the word of God is, is a what? A sword. It's our sword. The word is a weapon. And I wish we would stop using it on each other and start using it on the enemy. Let's look at the word, the power of the word, also from the passion. Uh, Psalms chapter 8, beginning in verse 3. Just, just, uh, I could just preach this, these couple verses. The voice of the Lord echoes through the skies and sees the glory God reigns as he thunders in the clouds. So powerful is his voice, so brilliant and bright. How majestic as he thunders over the great waters. Wow. His his tympanic mm, thunder topples. A lot of T's there. The strongest of trees. The symphonic sound splinters the mighty forest. 
Wow. Now he moves Zion's mountains by the might of his voice, shaking the snowy peaks with his ear-splitting sound. The lightning fire flashes, striking as he speaks. God reveals himself when he makes the fault lines quake, shaking deserts, speaking his voice. Wow. God's mighty voice makes the deer to give birth. His thunderbolt voice lays the forest bare. In his temple all fall before him with each one shouting, Glory, glory, the God of glory. Above the furious flood, the enthroned one reigns. The king God rules with eternity at his side. This is the one. This is the one who gives his strength and might to his people. This is the Lord giving us his kiss of peace. Give God a shout and a praise. Wow. What a word. What a word. You understand Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter, I got to hurry up. For we have the living word of God, which is full of energy, like a two-mouthed sword. Two-mouthed. That's good. That's good. A two-mouthed sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being where soul and spirit, bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our heart. Verse 14. So then we must cling in faith to all we know to be true, for we have a magnificent king, priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. Verse 16, so now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. That's the power of the word in you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now, please listen, for I need to address an issue. I'm making this personal appeal to you by the gentleness and self forgetfulness of Christ. I am the one who is humble and timid. Uh, uh, I'm the one who is humble and timid. They accused they accused Paul when he's writing of being uh, when he's present of being humble and timid. Timid, and then he writes a letter and he burns them. You know, he said, "I'm the one who is humble and timid when face to face with you, but bold and outspoken when a safe distance away." <laughs> Now I plead with you that when I come, don't force me to take a hard line with you, which I'm willing to do, by daring to confront those who mistakenly believe that we are living by the standards of the world, not by the Spirit's wisdom and power. Wow. Next verse. For although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture like prisoners of war every thought and insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Wow. I don't know. It seems like, and I don't know why we get like this, but it seems like every time I preach that, every time I preach 1 Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 10 and verse 5, 6, I, I always thought in terms of myself that, that, you know, tearing down strongholds in my own mind. But the way the Passion Translation comes across is, 
it's, it's not just about that. It's about tearing down strongholds in other people. I, I never stressed that before. God is helping us through the word to tear down. When someone's lost, he's given you a weapon to tear down those defenses. He's given you a weapon to, uh, to uncover the lies that they're living with. When someone says, I'm not worthy and I'm never going to make it, God's given you a weapon to, to unsheathe that and open that up and tear that thought down. Amen. And, of course, it happens in your own life as well, too. But I'm just encouraged to know in my ministry that I have a weapon called the Word of God, the prophecies from on high, that I'm able to help people and get them through, not to judge people, but to help people, get them from A to B, to to see the deliverance, to see mighty things, to see miracles, signs and wonders, healings. Oh, Oh, God, send the glory of God and send it by your Word. Hallelujah. Let me give you a news flash. You are in a word church. You are in a church that believes in the power of the word. You don't need me to give up here every day and give you self-help messages. We need that sword of fire from on high that divides, amen, soulish from spiritual, that helps us to discern God's word from everything, all the other junk that's going on in our lives. We need a word that will transform lives, change people's hearts, amen, heal bodies, amen, bring us to victory and save souls. That's what we need in these last days, not a feel-good message That'll just make us feel good. It's actually my job to make you uncomfortable. Amen. Amen. Wow. Listen, we have received a wonderful gift in Jesus. We have received a powerful weapon. It's time that we start writing down the words that we hear, the words that we, that are spoken over us, the words that we hear from pulpits, the words we hear from reading and writing and just being in, just sitting around the table. Oh, some of the most precious times is you, a chair, a table, a cup of coffee, and Jesus. Or in my case, a cappuccino. I'm sorry. Amen? Jesus is in cappuccinos. His name is in there somehow. Yes, he is. Amen. Let me close with this. 30 years later in Ephesus. 30 years after this, Paul's long dead. Timothy now is 64 years old. I don't know if he's still pastor at this time or if John has taken over, but he's in Ephesus, and there's an ungodly, ungodly parade. How many know we got some of them now? Ungodly parade that came through the city. And Timothy saw that parade, and by then Christianity was very strong. In Ephesus. I, I actually been to Ephesus. I've actually walked on the same sidewalks and roads that Timothy, Paul, and John walked on. It was, it was just thrilling for me, to actually, because I knew for sure. You go to Jerusalem, you don't know what you're looking at. But when you go to Ephesus, you know that sidewalk. There's a fish in the sidewalk. That shop was a Christian shop. It, it just blew my mind to actually walk those, walk those streets. <laughs> oh, Lord. But that parade was going down the street. And Timothy didn't rise up in judgment. He rose up to say, these gods aren't going to save you. I wonder if that should be part of our message. 